You're listening to Joy Coaching America with the Joy Coach, Karen Lynn Grant, spreading upbeat, uplifting, informative messages of hope and happiness from sea to shining sea from our home in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. Welcome to Joy Coaching America. This is Karen Lynn Grant, and today I have the privilege of introducing to you an amazing man who is a wonderful mentor of my husband and mine. Manasseh Fotu is a wonderful husband. He is a wonderful father of 13. His beautiful wife, Lisa, and he are in Alpine or Cedar Hills, Utah. And we're so grateful today to have Manasseh here. He is one of the key leaders and mentors in life leadership, and his story is such an incredible story. And for our Father's Day program, I just felt that if I could interview any man other than my husband, it would have to be Manasseh Fotu. I have sat in audiences where Manasseh has shared his testimonials of fatherhood and husbandhood and the beautiful spirit that he projects. I wish you could see his illuminating countenance as he will share with you today some of his core beliefs and values and his story. And we're going to start at the very beginning, Manasseh. We're going to go all the way back to when you were a little boy in Tonga. And I would just love for you to say hello to our listening audience. And then if you'll just share your background as a little boy growing up in Tonga. Well, number one, thank you, Karen. I am so excited, you know, to share, you know, with your audience here. And uh, what a what an honor, you know, to uh, to share a little bit. And I, uh, my prayer is that uh, hopefully my story and my, you know, my experience will help somebody out there, at least one person. It's That's helping hope. me. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say that. So I just pray that uh, you know um, that my story will help somebody out there. And encourage you to uh, not give up, but to get out there and know that, you know, that God wants you to win, you know. And so, yeah, my story, you know, going back to the island of Tonga, um, I'm grateful for my parents, number one, because now that they're gone, you know, they both have passed away quite a few years ago. You know, I, I think I appreciate them more than ever before because I remember clearly now how what they've taught me, the character and the philosophy and the whole, you know, um, examples they've been to me, you know, um, spiritually, mentally, and physically in so many ways, you know, that, you know, they've changed my life, you know. So I look at, I look at my life, you know, I was, I was born in Tonga, the island of Tonga. It's one of the only uh, kingdom in the South Pacific, I mm. believe. It still has a king and queen, you know, it's pretty cool. Um but leaving in Otonga when I was 10 years old, you know, uh, coming to America. But I want to back up a little bit. My family, there's 10 uh, children in my family. Uh, my parents had 10 of us, uh, seven boys, three girls. And I was the second of the youngest, me and my little brother. But I just remember growing up, not knowing any diff- different. You know, I was, you know, happy kid, you know. And I think that's what you're going to find when you go into the island of Tonga, is they're very uh, happy people, you know? And I believe one of the reasons is because they know who they are as people. You know, they're God-fearing people, which I think it has a lot to do with it. Uh, Tupofa, you know, the king of Tonga, the first king of Tonga, the first thing he did 
is he dedicated the island of Tonga to the God, you know, mm-hmm. to our Heavenly Father. And, you know, when you do that, I guess, I believe it sets the precedence for the island, uh, all of the people of Tonga, you know. You'll find that one of the unique things about Tonga is that on Sunday, you know it's Sunday. You know, you mm-hmm. can feel it, you know. I mean, there's just a different spirit about it, you know. And I believe that um, has that has an impact in the people of Tonga. And my fact, Sunday, all the stores are closed. No one is allowed to drive. Mm-hmm. If you drive, you have to get permission. It has to be specifically for church. And it's cool because you hear all the bells ringing from different churches, you know, because uh, different religion and everything. But everybody knows it's Sunday. I mean, you, you're not supposed to play on Sunday. You're not supposed to go, you know, to any sports events or anything like that. It was time to go to church, you know. That was a God-fearing king. Yeah, yeah. He really believed that. If he would dedicate, you know, the whole island of Tonga, you know, um, that the gods would watch over Tonga, you know. That, and, you know, we'll, at another time, we'll talk about more stories about how all that rolled out, how Tonga has been protected from so many things, you know. But, yeah, that's I grew up in the island of Tonga. I remember, you know, walking to school every morning with no shoes on, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, you get your feet really hard and it doesn't. That's your shoes. I mean, you know, <laughs> you don't know any different, you know. And but I just remember, you know, my my mom said one one day, hey, you know, a whole family's gonna go to America one day. You know, she had this dream that was very clear that she wanted our her children to have a better opportunity in that the land of America, the land of opportunity, you know. <laughs> and um, excuse me. Um, and I, I didn't know as a little kid what that meant, you know. And of course, later, as I, you know, as that rolled out, I realized what that all meant, you know, it was sacrifice, a lot of work, you know, and, you know, I just remember my dad going, what are you talking about? We could barely make it here in, in Tonga with, you know, with our big family, you know, my, my dad farm, a little farm of sweet potatoes and bananas, all these fruits and, you know, stuff. And then he would go to the ocean and be a fisherman. He was a fisherman, you know, very, very good fisherman. But I just remember being really, really happy every day. I got to eat fresh fish, you know. Mm-hmm. And and my dad would take us to the little plantation that we had and and getting uh, fresh sweet potatoes every day and different things like that, helping my dad, you know, every day. And my job every day in school, after school, elementary school, was um, um, gathering firewoods to cook our food in open fire, you know. Wow. And so it was very interesting, you know. And then, he, then I afforded a little bit. My mom said one day, I said, look, you know, they're going to be, our vision is to go to America and take all of you to America. But right now, only some of us can go to America until um, our whole family will be in America. You know, at that time, I already had an older brother, Sione, you know, was already, my mom had worked really hard and encouraged him to get to America. And he was in Hawaii going to school and working and sending money in working on the visas and everything to get us to, to uh, Hawaii, you know. And so the day came when my mom and dad, you know, had to leave, you know, first to get to Hawaii because they only, they're the one that get the visa, you know, the only one got the visa and, uh, you know, the funds to, to get them to America. And I just remember my mom, you know, the night before, she's all crying and everything. And I'm like, mom, why are you all sad? You know, she's like, well, because I'm leaving to go to Hawaii. And I said, 
I'm saying, what's Hawaii? You know, <laughs> where is Hawaii? I'm thinking, I'm thinking just another island in Tonga somewhere. She goes, no, it's far away, honey. I'm not going to be able to see you for a little bit, you know, for a while. You know, I said, well, how long? She goes, I really don't know. You know, and I'm like, what? You mean you don't know? You know, I mean, I'm, I might not be able to see you. She goes, no, 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 no. You're going to see me, but but this is the way we got to do it because you can't, we don't have the money and your visa yet. You know, so you, I got to go first and then we'll save up money and then you and your little brother will come later, you know, and um, and I just remember, okay, you know, but it wasn't until that next day at the airport that I realized my mom's going away for a while. And, uh, wow. <laughs> and uh, but, you know, looking back, that that's the sacrifice, you know, you got to do something mm-hmm. because... And you don't understand that for now, you know, back then. But you realize, dang, my parents went through a lot, you know. And uh, when I finally saw my mom, you know, almost three years later, wow. you know, she said that every night she would pray. Then my little brother and I would come. And there were many times, you know, after the uh, after six months, you know, she said to my brother, okay, I'm done. I'm going back to Tonga, you know. Because I miss my uh, my kids, my boys, you know, and um, and my my brother would say, "No, you can't do that. You can't, you can't do that. This is part of our sacrifice. You gotta stay because it's gonna be okay, you know, you know." My, and we were living with my aunt, you know, my aunt, uncle, my mom's sister. So everything was fine. Since that my mom felt like she abandoned me, you know, mm-hmm. my little brother, right? So I'm like. You know, and then of course after a few weeks and months, you know, you just go about as a young guy, young kid, you know, until one day my aunt said, "Hey, guess what? You're you're leaving next week. You're going to Hawaii." You know, because they. How I, old were you when that happened? Uh, uh, I was, I was almost eleven. You know, so she left when you were eight. Eight years old. Yeah, yeah. I was almost almost eleven when I saw her. Almost three years later, right? And. Um, so, so anyways, it was, uh, so I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to go now and you're to your mom and dad. And I remember this being really, really happy, of course, you know, and I thought, wow, my mom said that she, it would happen and now it's happening, you know? So coming to Hawaii, of course, uh, I remember seeing mom and my mom told me later, because every day after, you know, especially after the first year, I said to your brother, I said, it's over. I don't care about America. I don't care about dreams. I don't care about anything else. I just want to go back to my little boys, you know. Oh. And my brother encouraged him, no, you got to stay. And, of course, she hung in there and knowing that her sister was taking good care of us and families, you know. This is an incredible story, Manasse. And thank you so much for sharing this part of the story, your mother and your father making such an amazing sacrifice so that your family could come here. And I have heard this story once and I begged you to tell it today. I think it is such an integral part of your life, your success, and what has made you the wonderful father that you are today. We will be right back after this station break with more from Manasse Fotu.
from sea to shining sea and beyond. You're listening to Joy Coaching America Worldwide with show host and Joy Coach, Karen Lynn Grant. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America. This is Karen Lynn Grant, and today I have the honor of interviewing Manasseh Fotu, who is such an exemplary uh, mentor in my life, in my husband Dell's life. We love Manasseh. We love his story. And for that reason, I asked Manasseh if he would come and share his experience, his love for America, his passion for the American dream, and his a little bit of his story. I, there's so many amazing things about Manasseh's story, but a little bit about his story. And we've just heard about growing up in Tonga and then finally getting to rejoin his mother and father in Hawaii, in America. And now, Manasseh, would you just pick up where we left off and take it from there? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, coming to America, of course, is so different. You know, uh, I remember arriving in Hawaii and the first time I saw big hotels, you know, at Waikiki Beach, you know, <laughs> what a different experience. I remember looking at my brother and and I said, what are those buildings, you know? And he said, those are hotels. I said, what are the hotels, you know? And he said, people pay money to go there and they come on vacation here. And I said, what's vacation, you know? Mm-hmm. All this new stuff, you know? And and of course, one of the, one of the crazy thing I asked him, I said, why are all those people laying on the beach naked? You know, they were not naked, as you know. But for me in Tonga, that's not normal, you know, that you have people just laying out, like, because we're already brownie, we don't need to tan, you know. But, you know, but I remember saying to him, I said, I said, why are they all laying there? And, you know, and they're, what, are they try- what are they doing? You know, and he said, well, they're trying to uh, get a tan. I said, what is a tan? You know, because <laughs> I'm just a young boy, a little boy trying to figure out America, you know? Mm. They said, well, they kind of want to get dark, you know, brown like you and I. That's tan, you know? <laughs> and so I said, well, why? I want to be white, you know, because it's funny because in, in Tonga, if you're, if you're more fair-skinned, you're considered beautiful, you know? And here I come to, to America, to a, I mean, from Tonga to Hawaii, and people are trying to be brown. And I was totally confused, you know? What the heck is going on here, you know? And so very interesting as I'm learning, you know, and of course the food is different, you know? the all Everything is different, you know? And of course, when it comes to Sunday, you know, I see people working on Sunday and stores and cars everywhere. And I'm going to church and I'm like, it didn't feel like Sunday, like in Tonga, you know, there's it, it, it just a different spirit, right? Culture shock. The whole culture shock, <laughs> right? And uh, and my brother's like, yeah, it's different here. You know, I said, yes, it is different here. And so, yeah. And it, interesting, you know, my uh, my mom, you know, uh, said, you know, said to me and my little brother after being in Hawaii for almost two years, she said, you know what, I need to go to America. And I said, I thought we were already in America. You know, he said, no, no, to the mainland, you know, to Salt Lake, you know. And I said, why do you need to go there, mom? Because I need to get our papers. Because, you you know, you, you come on a visa here, but now if you want to be a citizen, you got to have somebody help you get those done so we can be permanently live in America. And I'm like, as a little boy, I have no idea what she's talking about, right? She was supposed to be there for like a week. And I'm staying there for almost a month. And uh, she came back and she said, okay, 
um, I bought a house in Salt Lake. We got to move to Utah. And I'm like, okay, well, what is that? What is, what is that? You know, I have no concept understanding as a young boy what the heck is going, where we're going, you know? And did you speak English at that no, time? No, no, I was not. I didn't speak English at all. Did your mom? Very, mom, my mom, not either, but not that much. Anyways, we understood a little bit. You know, I mean, English has been taught in Tonga, but not, you know, we're speaking Tonga, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I said to mom, I said, mom, why are we going to America? Why are we going to mainland, you know, to wherever we're going? You know, and she said, we got to go there because you and your little brother needs to enroll in the school. You know, that's why we need to get this done. And I remember thinking, well, I don't care about school. It's kind of fun right now, just hanging out every day, right? <laughs> but I remember I wasn't hanging out. I was going to work every day with my brother. My brother, Sione, what a what an amazing example it had been. He would wake up in the morning, go to school full time at BYU Hawaii at the time, you know, a church college back then and uh, back in the 70s. And then in the afternoon, early afternoon, he'd be kid come home and load up me and my brothers and my dad and we'd go out and go to work, you know, looking for work, basically. And what a what an inspiration example, he, a leader he had been. Because I remember years later, of course, I was just really young then. But years later, I thought, what the heck was he? You know, I'm so grateful for him, you know, because I thought if he was selfish and not wanting to bring his parents and mom and dad, he was already married, had a couple of kids already trying to go to school and finish school and work and take care of his family and sending money to Tonga and try to bring our whole family over here. Wow. That is an amazing, right? I, I'm in debt to him, you know, and so I'm, I always tell him how grateful I am that he wasn't selfish, you know, that he came and he loved us enough to bring all of us, all, all nine of our kids. You and know, he one, was the oldest son? He, he was second to the oldest, mm -hmm. you know, and but my mom was inspired one day and said, hey, we got to get at least one of our kids to America and maybe he can help us get us there, right? And, um, and that's a whole nother story, I could tell you that, but... But it's forward a little bit here now, going into coming into Salt Lake. So we come to Utah, and I remember it's like February. <laughs> it's snowing outside, right? Well, that's a uh, new culture shock. Yeah, we're talking about another whole uh, culture shock. <laughs> Hawaii wasn't so bad because I'm thinking, yeah, there's coconuts in trees in Hawaii, just like Tonga. You know, the weather is the same pretty much, you know. But then you come to Utah. And all of a sudden, you walk off the airplane and it, you see all this white stuff. And I'm like, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm young, you know, I'm almost 12. I'm thinking, it's kind of cool, you know. But at the same time, I'm like, but this is cold. You know, <laughs> this, I've never felt this way before, you know. But bless my mom's heart, man. She wanted to um, get us into school. So right away, worked it out with my uncle, enrolled my little brother and I into school. And... Um, so here we are, I'm going to school and not understanding, uh, you know, I, at first I thought it was cool, but then I it, I didn't translate in my mind that, hey, they speak a different language here. <laughs> so I'm walking into a classroom, have no idea, you know, what was going on, you know? And so here's my cousins that were born in America, taking us to, to, to school and they barely speak English. I mean, I mean, they barely speak Tongan. They speak English. And they're talking to me. I'm like speaking to them in Tongan. I'm like, I speak Tongan, man. You're Tongan. Speak Tongan <laughs> to me. And they're like, uh, we don't speak Tongan, man. <laughs> a little bit, you know, trying to communicate with them. And I'm like, then it, when I got to school, I started translating in my mind. Oh, my goodness. 
I don't understand anything. I'm in America now, you know, because when we were in Hawaii, I, just, I was always home. I didn't go to school over there for almost two years. And, and I thought, hey, my family, we all speak Tonga to each other. You know what I'm saying? I know it was different, but I in my little comfort area zone. And then now I'm forced in to go to school, in public school now, and sitting in class and not understanding 99% what the teacher is saying, right? And I'm like, this is not good. Wow, that <laughs> uh, is amazing. It was crazy, you know, to you know go through that whole process. And it wasn't fun for me, you know. Um, because why? Because I didn't understand anything. I felt like I was the dumbest kid in the in the school, and you know, because I didn't understand everything, you know. And I became angry sometimes, you know, and get into trouble and with you know fights and stuff like that. Because kids would just be kids and be you know, looking back now, were just being funny, and I thought they were making fun of me, you know. Mm-hmm. And I would just beat them up, you know, and I get kicked out of school, you know. And my parents, my my brother was like, hey you know, what the heck? You can't do stuff like that. And I'm like, well, then I don't want to go to school anymore then. I'll just go to work with you guys. And they said, no, 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 you have to go to school, you know? So trying to put that all together, which is hard, you know? That gives you so much compassion on children that I had a school teacher friend in West Valley mm -hmm. who had 13 different nationalities in her classroom. Sure. That's amazing. That just, that get to hear it from the child's perspective. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's, you know, my mom is great that he brought his, she brought it here, but now I'm in the middle of it. Right. What do you do with it? And you have to deal with it, you Mm. know? So, so yeah, it's interesting, but you know, uh, you look back and it was, uh, you know, you learn from those experiences and you appreciate the good times, right? And so Manasi, how how long did it take? And I might have to wind this up really quickly right now. But when we come back from this break, I'd like to ask you, when did you feel like you were getting fluent in English? Because that, I mean, you are so amazing what you have accomplished and what you have overcome as a little boy, as a teenager, and the example that you set for all of us to love America and to embrace the opportunities that we have here. I am excited. And this is a beautiful, a beautiful uh, sharing that you're doing with us today. And we'll be right back after this message with Manasseh Fotu. Welcome to the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America, raising the world's vibration to love, joy, and peace. One happy listener at a time. We are back. This is Karen Lynn Grant interviewing Manasse Fotu. And the more I hear this story unfold, the more touched I am with the incredible bravery and courage it took for a little boy to come to America, not speaking the language, the culture shock he went through. And now look who you are today, Manasse. You're with your family of 13 and your beautiful wife, Lisa. I'm so excited to continue this interview with you. And we were just at the exciting moment when I had asked you, when did you feel fluent in English? 
<laughs> That's an interesting um, question because you know I don't think I'm Floyd yet. <laughs> oh, you were you know? great, and uh, you know it's funny because when when you ask that, Karen, uh, my kids sometimes will make fun of me. You know, or just joke. You know, joke. We you know mess around and they. Dad, that's not what it meant. You know, that's not <laughs> what it means. That's not what, you know, what it says that, you know, you're pronouncing it wrong or whatever, you know. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. But you understand what I mean, you know. And um, it's interesting because uh, I have an amazing relationship with my wife and my children. And so I, I don't feel like I have mastered English yet. I don't know if I'll ever do, you know. However, I'm working on it all the time because in meeting you know, great mentors like Orrin Woodward and Chris Brady have inspired me to read, you know, and that's a whole different, you know, uh, thing in my life. I think that's probably one of the things that was key as far as changing my life, you know, um, meeting mentors like them because, um, you know, but I want to back up a little bit and talk about, you know, where they go from here. You know, um, I remember, you know, I was inspired one day well, how I really wanted to go to school every day and it started changing my life was I remember watching, going to a football game, a high school, high school football game of my cousin, you know, a cousin of mine, you know, uh, Siona Finau. I went to watch his game, his football game, and I was inspired by it because I grew up playing rugby in, in Tonga with a coconut. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we, didn't have a, we didn't even have money to buy a ball. So we were just, just literally playing, you know, rugby with a coconut or whatever. And uh, whatever we can find, but it's so interesting. I went to watch his football game, and I was inspired by him. I thought, man, I, that's it. I'm going to be a football player, you know. And um, it's it's crazy because that motivated me to focus, you know, of going to school. I remember going into my freshman year starting football in ninth grade at Bingham High School here in Utah, and not understanding how this game, I was just excited, right? The coach, he says, like, you know, what position do you want to play? I said, I want to be a running back because my 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 cousin, my hero, my example, my the guy that inspired me was a running back, you know? And so I played running back, you know, and learning. You had to learn the plays. You got to learn the game. You got to learn all this stuff. I had no idea what the heck I was supposed to learn. But I remember um, one of my coaches, you know, said to me one day, he said, hey, it looks like you have some some talent, you know, that you could go to the next level in college. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. But here's the deal. I can see that your grades are not very good. And he was right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he said, you need to go to school. If you don't go to school and get good grades, you cannot play football. And I remember thinking, okay, how do I do that when I don't even understand everything, you know? I mean, I'm starting to learn now, you know, you know, going from junior high to high school now getting better, but still school was really hard for me because, you know, high school is a lot harder than junior high school, That's you know? Right. And so, but he said, you know what, Manasseh, if you just go to class every day and then you and I can work closely with the teachers and they're going to help us out, I'll talk to them. And you know what? He was right. You know, here's my, you know, my, uh, my coach, you know, head football coach, Jerry Fyatt. I, you know, in, at Bingham, you know, back in those days, he said to me, Manasseh, I think you're gonna you're gonna be good, and you got a, a shot of going to college. You get a scholarship, and I remember thinking, "Wow, that would be amazing." Coming from Tonga to you know going amazing. to a university to play football? Are you kidding me? You know, I didn't believe it at first, but the more I played, the more I got better, right? But I remember 
you know, just struggling through. He would help me with the plays and figure it all out, you know, trying to figure it out. And I wasn't playing, you know, very much because I didn't know the the plays yet. But I remember one day we were we were playing against Hillcrest High School, and um, the the starting running back, you know, the coach. I you know because when you're not playing, you're just standing there on the sideline, you're not paying attention because you know you're not going to play, right? There's game one, game two, game three. And I'm like, oh, obviously I'm not going to play. for. I'm just going to be part of the team, but not play at all, right? And uh, so I'm standing on the sideline. The game is going on. I'm not paying attention to anything. I'm just sitting there watching the game. And I hear my name, Manase. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, is somebody calling me? No, no, that's not. And then my teammates run up to me and push me and say, dude, the coach wants you. You're in. And I'm like, I'm in? In the game? Are you kidding me? I'm, are you serious? And he's like, no, you're in. And I look at the coach. Coach is singling me in. I got to run in. I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, I almost forgot my helmet because I'm with no help. I'm just standing on the sideline, right? <laughs> so I grab my helmet. And I'm running in there. And the, the, the quarterback looks at me and goes, dude, you got this. 32 dive. You know what that's at? And I said, no. And I said, that's on the right side, the first hole on your right side. That means that between the center and the guard, there's that, that's it. You just run, you just run through that hole, right? And I remember, you know, how excited I was to be in there, right? That I got a chance at it. And you're supposed to take a one step to the left, like, because you're trying to fake out the, the, the defense. Well, you know, you go step to the right and then hit the hole. I didn't even step. I just hit the hole. And, well, it got to give the quarterback time to hand because he's got to do a pivot, you know, all the way around to hand me the ball because we're both doing that. We're supposed to fake out the, the defense first and then hand me the ball. Well, he barely got the ball into me. And luckily, he saw that. He probably in his mind goes, I better hurry because I don't think he's going to do a stutter step. He's just going to hit the And sure enough, he, he barely hand me the ball. And I went to the ball. I remember hitting one person. And I, fl- I spinned around and ran like almost a 90 yard touchdown. And oh, yay! First play, right? And, and, and the coach is like, What the heck happened here? He goes in, he goes, because what happened was that the starting running back, something was wrong with his helmet, you know, his equipment. He had to come out. I'm just going in for just supposed to stand there or whatever. The quarterback decided to call the play, hand me the ball. I ran a, a 90 yard touchdown almost. And the coach was like, okay, that's our guy right there, right? And so because I didn't know football, all I saw in football was when you make a touchdown, you're supposed to spike the ball, right? I didn't know that. Only professional people do that, right? Well, because they throw a flag, you don't. They don't take your touchdown, but you get you get penalized, right? Where they they do the extra point for them. So I remember spiking the ball in the end zone, and I come running out, and and the coaches and everybody, the coach grabbed me and pulls me through. They said, "Look, you're not a professional yet. You're, <laughs> you're, you're 90, an amateur. <laughs> Ninety yards is a, is a you know, professional." He said, "You're not supposed to spike the ball yet, man. That's only professional guys." And I remember, th- I didn't know, I didn't know what the heck he was supposed to do. I was just excited because that's what I saw on TV, right? <laughs> and uh, so it just kind of shows you how I had no clue what the heck I was doing out there. But but I remember the coach saying, okay, you're the starting running back now. And I remember thinking, coach, but I don't know the plays. He goes, don't worry. The quarterback and I will tell you where to run, you know. And then from then on, the quarterback, he said, all right, you're going to run here. You're going to run this way. You're going to go for a pass. And we worked on it. And I ended up starting the rest of the year, you know. And um, But that's the story, right? That's the, And I remember my dad, his, his was really funny. 
I remember the first three or four games that I didn't play, my dad would come to the game, you know, and I said, dad, look at my uniforms, clean. Don't come to the game. I'm not playing. He goes, no, no, no. I just want to come watch your team because you might play one day. And guess what? He showed up at the game when I ran that 90-yard touchdown. And I remember, I, I will never forget it. As I was, I was running back, after I spiked the ball, <laughs> I was running back to, the, to my sideline. I remember this looking at my dad because, you know, freshman football, hardly anybody comes. And it was a way game, right? Hardly anybody comes, you know, at least in those days, didn't hardly anybody comes, right? There's a few parents there because it's a away game. I remember my, I looked up at my dad. I just noticed it, my dad, he was like jumping up and down. He was all excited, you know, <laughs> that's my son. That's my son in Tonkin, right? But anyway, so, but I just remember how excited he was, you know, when he went, when I went home that game, that after the game and we won the game and everything, how excited he was telling my mom, he was doing great. I'm so glad I went. He, he was telling me he wasn't going to start. But look, 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 I'm so glad, you know. And I remember they said, Dad, that was for you, right? All those times when I didn't believe that I could, I was going to play, you came anyways. And because you was there, he got to see me play, right? Oh, my gosh. You would make the most amazing football commentator. I loved it. I loved it. That was so wonderful, Manasseh. I love that story. That is just the great, great story. Find the hole. Don't t turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Just run straight through all the way to the touchdown. We're so grateful to have you here. And what a beautiful story about your dad, which will lead us in to our next topic soon about your role as father and husband. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America, raising the world's vibration to love, joy, and peace, one happy listener at a time. Happy Father's Day, everyone. I can't think of a more significant person in my world, other than my husband, than to be interviewing Manasseh Fotu for this special tribute to fathers. As I have listened to Manasseh, as I have watched him on stage, as I have heard him speak of his love for his wife and his 13 children, the sacrifices that he has made for his own family, I can't help but love the story that he told about his father yelling in Tongan, that's my son, as Manasseh made that 90-yard touchdown. And so I'm so excited, Manasseh, to, to be back with you and to ask you to just, will you briefly share a little bit about your dad, because you are one of the most nurturing fathers that I have ever seen and experienced. And I would love to, to see if that is generational for you. Does that go back to your dad? Absolutely. And um, be honored to talk a little bit about my father, uh, <clears throat> because I believe, as a matter of fact, my, my, mom, my, um, my mom and my, my wife, Lisa, sometime were would say to me, man, you're, you're just like grandpa or you're mm. just like your dad, you know, and what an honor, you know, to, to say, to have that be representing my father as, as a great man. First name is, first name is Malachi, you know, Fotu and, 
you know, with the Maokai from the Bible. It's mm-hmm. where he got his name, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, um, you know, I just remember, you know, growing up, you know, Tonga come to Hawaii, coming here, you know, as one of the hardest worker in in the world, you know, trying to provide for our family, you know, working construction with my my uncle Sateki Finau and and um, trying to take care of our family in America, you know, and to see, you know, his example. And so I think the thing that I, I would like to share about my father, what I remember the most, he was number one, hard worker, you know, number two, he was a man of character, you know, and, and he, he was one of the most honest person I've ever seen in my life. Right. And he was a man of faith, you know, he was a God fearing, you know, person. And, and, you know, as a young boy growing up, you don't, you don't understand all that later until later you realize, wow, you know, my dad was an example of, of man of just making sure that he was taking care of our family, working hard, making sure that he was an example of character to me all the time. Never once did I heard him, you know, try to cheat somebody or doing this or stuff. Man, he was a man of character, right? He He was a man of God. I remember he was was. a man of faith. And you told Del and I, faith promoting experiences where your father overcame illness due to his faith, his great faith in God. Yeah, he, he, thank you. You know, yeah, he he was a man of faith. And every time I think about him and it, it encourages me, right? You know, when I built my business, when I was struggling trying to support my family, I kept thinking about my dad and my mom, how much faith they had in God and not to give up, you know, not to, you know, that's, that's what I see. My parents is they were, they were people of faith, hardworking and not giving up, you know, honest with their dealings, you know, um, as I was growing up. And that just encouraged me that, man, if you have faith, you're a hard worker, you do all the right thing, you know what, you're going to be fine. You know, I just remember when my dad died, I was one of the very, very few people that got to say goodbye to him, you know, a day before he died and knowing that he left with a smile in his face. Mm-hmm. He had no regret, you know, that he knew he was ready. I mean, he was literally Beautiful. ready to return, live with our Heavenly Father because he had no regrets about anything in his life, you know, that, and I thought, that's the way I want to go, man. I want to go like that, you know? And so I'm trying to do the best I can to be that kind of a father, you know? So it's been very interesting, you know, of course, marrying my amazing wife, Lisa, you know, uh, it's a big part, you know, of creating that winning culture. So I guess my deal is how is I, as a father to 13 children, how do I take some of the things that I've learned from my parents and my experiences and things that I did in my life to a, creating a winning culture, you know? And so I, I believe my parents play a very, very important role. I also believe my brother and sisters play a very important role. My my brother, Sione, is photo, you know, he's now, he has, you know, um, he has seven children of his own and, you know, he's been amazing, successful, lives in Hawaii, you know, was a great mentor to me as a great example. And then, of course, as I left, I went to college and do different things, trying to figure it all out, playing football, learn from coaches, you know, and, and but I really believe what really got me you know, dialed in as far as learning and growing was when I, you know, I was building my business and I met Orrin Woodward and Chris Brady, you know, which were amazing fathers, you know. And <laughs> interesting enough, a lot of the characters that I learned from my father, I also looked at Orrin and Chris 
they were kind of the same way too. You know, honest people, high character, hardworking. You can count on whatever they say they're going to do. They've done it, you know. And, and because I wanted, it was interesting because I wanted to make my business work, my, my, my life business really work. And I remember asking Chris Brady, I said, Chris, so how do I make more money like you? You know, and he said, well, read this book. And I'm like thinking, what does reading have to do with <laughs> making more money? You know, he said, everything, Manasseh. He said, You're, you, you need to always continue to learn. And I said, why? You know, I literally, he can tell, I was like, why, you know? And he said, well, think about it this way. You know, all of us don't know what we don't know, right? Because we not, not any one of us know everything, right? You don't know what you don't know, Manasseh. And if you don't, if you forget most of the things that you already know, and then if you don't continue to learn, then what do you really know? Right? And I remember thinking, that makes sense to me. I need to continue to learn, you know, uh, read and learn more. But even though I didn't like to read because I didn't understand a lot of things I was reading as far as personal development. And I asked Chris, I said, what books should I be reading? He said, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. You know, I remember thinking, I remember reading that book the first time, like, I hate this book. It's so complicated. They're using terms I don't like. You know, I remember going to Lisa all the time and my kids asking them, what does this word mean? How does that make sense? What does this sentence mean? You know, don't explain to me. Because even though I had gone through high school and college and everything, English language is hard, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, how do I? Because many times I would still be, I would listen to something in English and it translate into tongue and then try to make sense of it. And sometimes it doesn't correlate very well, mm -hmm. right? But I remember asking my kids and my wife all the time because I avoided reading. I read it just enough in college to be out of there, you know, to, to make it through college, you know? And so, but you know, when I met Owen Woodward and Chris Brady, I wanted to make enough money. I wanted to be successful in my business. They inspired me to read and I decided, okay, that's what it takes. I guess I better learn how to read better. I better learn to understand this. And I remember Chris Brady just saying to me, Manasseh, even if you understand just a little bit, you're better off than the person that knows how to read and don't read at all. Wow. And I remember wow. thinking, that's a game changer, right? That's huge. He's right. That's huge, right? And I remember thinking, all right. I committed myself that I would read 15 minutes. And then eventually, as I, he said, Manasseh, um, reading and learning is like, going to the gym and work out. And I remember relating because I did in football, right? Working out with my team. He said, building your muscles is, is like that. First time you went to the gym to work your muscles, how does it feel? I said, it's not fun. You know, it's exactly, it's no different than reading. You're going to, you, your, your brain and your mind is not ready to learning. It, you're, it's a muscle. Your brain is a muscle, right? It's, you got to work it. And I remember thinking, okay, I can do that, you know? That made sense. And I, that made sense to me because I remember from football working out in the weight room and I thought, okay, that makes sense to me. So I'll just keep doing it until I get better, right? And I remember the first time I read a book, it was Magic of Thinking Big, right? I remember reading it. I'm like, I didn't want to put it down because it was so good. And it was like 45 minutes later, I'm still reading. I'm like, surprised myself. I'm like, what the heck happened to me? <laughs> I love reading now, I. So over time, I was developing that muscle that I love reading, right? And it changed my life, you know? And then it became contagious. It became related, seriously. My wife was already a reader. That's why I needed to read because she was already way out of the game than I ever was, you know? And I remember thinking, wow, my relationship got better. 
I was I was being nicer to my wife and my kids because I was learning things and I wanted to be good in my business. I wanted to be a better father, you know, because I was, you know, I, instead of yelling at my kids, I was being nice because I was being taught, you know, how to influence influence people by by Dale Carnegie, how to be nicer that you can accomplish so much more. And it just got better, you know. And I remember thinking, wow. And my wife said to me one day, I don't know what you're doing. I know what you're doing, but I, but keep doing it. You know what I'm saying? Because I like what you, what's happening here. And then you start feeling like, man, I I got I got control. You know, I'm mastering myself a little bit as a leader. My business started growing a little bit. My relationship got better with you know with my wife and my children and people around me. And I, I started liking me better. I'm like, wow, this is what Owen Woodward was trying to tell me as a leader that you're going to be able to relate with people better. And my, have I arrived? Absolutely not. You know, it's a constant working. Why? Because like you said, if you forget most of the things that you already know, you know, you got to continue to learn, right? And so it's been a, a growing process, of course. And to be able to create winning culture in my home, I went from working a job working my business, trying to figure it all out, have no time for them to be able to plug into this business and be able to get free for my job and be able to have more time now to read and to be able to apply it, you know, to my children, have time with them to be able to empower them and and uh, to become winners, you know? So it's been amazing. It is amazing and it is outrageously contagious. I have to tell you, I think God wanted me to do this interview because he wanted me to hear this. This is so exciting. I remember as a young girl having a stack of books beside my bed and waking up every morning at three o'clock and reading a chapter out of every single book and absolutely loving it. And it's just like this whole fuel of contagion is coming back into my heart. I want to bring out what you said. You talked about creating a winning culture. You had a father with a winning character. You are passing on the legacy from your father, who, if we could study his father and his father, all the way back to this great king in Tonga, these beautiful people that have a love for work, for God. There's so many beautiful things about what you are teaching us here today about having a winning character, Manasseh. And I have to tell you that something that my husband and I have both commented on, it's your integrity that shines from you. You exhibit and radiate integrity. And for me, that makes and culminates the gift of winning fatherhood. Thank you very much. We will be back with part two with Manasseh Fotu. Mm-hmm.